What a wonderful time we've had this morning already to just worship together through music and prayer and just the sacrificial service of so many to one another. And now it's our time to worship God through the study of His Word. I have a couple things going against me this morning, however. One is that uh, you got up early and you ate a big breakfast. And uh, it's probably the worst thing to do is come up and speak to people, and especially when they're tired. So I trust the Lord would have that on our hearts. But also, I know this, the one who didn't want Jesus Christ to rise from the dead is always at work and doesn't want anyone to hear the truth of what God has to say. And so that's always working against us. And I guess maybe there's a third thing, because I tend to get very excited about this day on the calendar because of the significance it is for us as Christians. And we often focus on certain aspects of this day in history. We like to highlight things that aren't normally highlighted through the other parts of the year about this day. And even though for me that is very exciting... At the same time, I have a tendency to struggle with this day, but not because of its significance. Simply, I struggle because as a pastor whose task it is to stand in front of God's people and say some things about what God would say from the Scriptures, and I primarily teach, I struggle sometimes with how to bring freshness to things that we have heard. And so oftentimes one of our very struggles is we become familiar with the very things we've heard a hundred times. And oftentimes we turn to passages, uh, we might go to the Gospels, like Matthew chapter 28 that I read from this morning, and recount the actual events of that first resurrection. And It's wonderful to reflect on all of that. It's wonderful to contemplate all of those kinds of things and the implications of those things for our lives. Sometimes we go to Matthew or Isaiah chapter 53 and we think about and look at the place and what happened with Jesus Christ before he went to the grave and rose from the dead. We might be even thinking of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in our minds and look, think about what Paul was saying to the Corinthian believers as to the eternal implications for us as Christians if, in fact, the resurrection had not happened. And so as for me, it's difficult as to what direction to take us for our time in the Scriptures, particularly on this resurrection day. But as I was praying about this and thinking about what we would do this morning, as the Lord would have it, we have been currently studying in the book of Romans. And by God's grace, we are in chapter 4 of Romans. And so, by the providence of God on this resurrection day, I want to direct our attention to that portion of Scripture this morning because it is there that we find God preaching about the resurrection. I've often wondered as a preacher and a teacher on these kinds of days in our calendar what it would be like to hear God preach if he were here preaching. You think about that sometimes, and sometimes we 
we get in our little humanistic thinking and we go, well, what would it have been like to walk with Jesus or to, to have, like Moses, God speak to you verbally? And, of course, that's a silly thought in one sense, since every time we open the Bible, God is always preaching. But I'm grateful to God for showing us clearly what he would say about the resurrection, or really, more importantly, what he says through the resurrection, because he preaches the resurrection, and the event of the resurrection is a message by God. It itself is a message. And we find in chapter 4 of Romans, and particularly in verses 23 to 25, we find another aspect of the essential qualities of actual saving faith. And we find that from the life of Abraham. We have been learning that for some time now in chapter 4. And and let me just, for those who might be visiting with us, just kind of summarize it in quick fashion. Because the text here tells us that Abraham believed God. It it refers us back to the Old Testament in Genesis, and and where Abraham and God had that interaction, and Abraham believed God. This text reiterates that and says Abraham believed God, and it, that is the faith that he had, was credited to his spiritual account as acceptable righteousness. In other words, he was declared innocent of the penalty and guilt of all of his sin. That's what is meant by the word justified. He was justified before God. When when we, when someone... Uh, does something and and we say, well, he was justified in doing that. We mean he, whatever he did was was perfectly right. That's what the idea is with justification, being right before God, being declared right by God as being right in his eyes. Abraham was declared by God to be innocent in spite of him being a spiritual lawbreaker, a sinner. And as the verses that I want us to focus on this morning tell us, they tell us that what was said about Abraham and what was true of the life of Abraham and that principle of faith was not simply written for his sake only, but for ours also, if we would believe upon him that raised Jesus Christ our Lord from the dead. Verses 23 through 24, notice what it says. Now, not for our sake only was it written that it was reckoned to him, that it was accounted to his spiritual accounting, but for our sake also to whom it will be reckoned. As those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. So what was true of the faith of Abraham will be true of every person who will ever be reconciled to God by that same faith. In other words, the way that Abraham was saved is the only way to be saved. There is no other way. It is the only way to be declared innocent of the penalty and guilt of sin before God. There is No other way. So, if 
we believe as Abraham believed, we too will be credited with acceptable righteousness. We too will be declared innocent by God of the penalty and guilt of all of our sin. We will be justified. And so here we have the answer to the age-old question. How can man be right with God? How can we know that our sins are actually forgiven? How can you and I face inevitable death with hope, without fear? How can we be declared right before God? Well, God gives us the answer to those kinds of questions in these verses through his preaching in the resurrection. God is preaching through the event of the resurrection. So what exactly does God say? What does he say by way of the resurrection itself? Let me give us some truths to reflect upon this morning. Faith unto salvation is the goal. That is the goal. Faith unto salvation. Faith by which we are declared righteous before God. And in order to believe as Abraham believed, God preaches to us in the resurrection that we must first believe in Him. Notice once again, verse 23 and 24, not for our sake only was it written, but it was also written uh, for us, not just for Him, to whom it will be reckoned, as those who believe in Him. This is a very important point. We might say it this way. Actual saving faith begins with faith in God. Actual saving faith begins with belief in God. In other words, it is a faith that takes God at His word. If you were here for our previous study, you, you already have that point in your own mind because you know that is the reality of saving faith. In fact, Hebrews chapter 11 clearly says that in order to please God, you must first believe that He is. So there's this reality of belief in God. But that truth is emphasized in the resurrection. Why? Because... We will never believe in the truth of the resurrection unless we first believe that God is. You will never believe in the reality of the resurrection. It will always be just this foggy story out here that might have happened or some other nice thing in which there's all kinds of spring things attached to it like flowers and prettiness and sunrises and all these kinds of things. If you don't believe in God, it will just remain in that area. I find it very interesting that Paul does not say here in these verses, believe in Jesus. In order for it to be reckoned to you unto righteousness, you must first believe in Jesus or that you must first believe in the Holy Spirit. He doesn't say that, and I'm emphasizing that. I'm highlighting that, not to say in any way 
that those things are de-emphasized as to a necessity when it comes to salvation. But what I am emphasizing is the reality that everything concerning true saving faith begins and ends with God the Father. In other words, all of salvation and all of the work in salvation by the Lord Jesus Christ and all of the work by means of the Holy Spirit in salvation is designed to bring us to the presence of God the Father. Why? So that we might be reconciled to Him. So the starting point of all true saving faith does not begin with our feelings. It does not begin with us having some kind of subjective feeling about God or what I think about God in those kinds of ways. It doesn't primarily even begin with something happening to me. It begins with belief in God the Father. It begins with believing in Him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. So as God preaches through the event of the resurrection, he is saying first and foremost that the starting point of all real faith begins with him. When we look at the empty tomb and we realize all the the implications behind the empty tomb, the first thing it ought to say is God is who he said he is. But we need to notice something else here. We need to notice something else. Because notice... It is not belief in God the Father in some kind of general, generic way. It is not just some kind of belief in God in some general's fashion. It is not that at all. In fact, it is defined in a particular way. In other words, we are to believe in Him, but in a particular way. In other words, faith is belief in God, but not simply belief in God in general. Why do I emphasize that? Because there are many, many, many people who have a general and generic belief in God. But they do not have a saving faith. It does not make them righteous before God. In other words, they are not, by that general belief, declared by God to be innocent of the guilt of their sin. In fact, most religions today have a belief in God. Islam has a belief in God. They call him Allah. That is the Hebrew name of God, Al. He is, he is, they, they, they have a belief in God. Judaism has a belief in God. We read it this morning in Matthew 28. Even the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they got angry with Jesus because he claimed to be God. Every vein of so-called Christianity has a belief in God, but that in and of itself does not make them actual Christians, even if they attach the word to themselves. Why? Because justifying faith believes in God in light of a particular fact. And that fact is the resurrection. Verse 24 clearly defines it. 
we are those who believe in Him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. That's the particular fact. So right here is what all of us must think about this morning. This resurrection morning. I just, I just kind of chuckle under my breath when I think about teaching this text on a resurrection morning. I could not have orchestrated the, the outflow of the process of our teaching in Romans from chapter 1 to this point so that I would arrive at this text on resurrection morning. I could not have done that. And yet right here, God has us here to think about a few things. God preaches some very specific realities in the resurrection. And all of them are facts. All of them are facts. Hebrews 1 tells us that God in these last days has spoken to us in His Son. And in the raising of His Son from the dead, God is saying some very specific things to all of humanity. And the real faith, Faith that saves, faith that is like the faith of Abraham, believes these specific facts spoken of by God through the resurrection. So what are they? What are they? Well, the first specific fact that God is preaching is that saving faith believes in the actuality of the resurrection. Saving faith believes in the actuality of the resurrection of the resurrection. We believe in Him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. We believe in Him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. That speaks to the actuality of a historical event. The actuality of the resurrection, as we have stated this morning, as Randy has said and others have implied by not only in song but in prayer and said it in prayer, it is the of utmost importance for you and I as Christians. It is rather amazing to find today some who claim to be Christian, who deny the bodily, physical resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. According to the Apostle Paul, at the very least from these words, you cannot ever be justified, you cannot ever be saved, you cannot ever be declared to be right before a holy God unless you believe in the fact of an actual physical resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He's dealing with Abraham's faith. Abraham was justified by God. And that kind of faith, believing what God said, is what God declares him righteous. And here... God is saying that we believe in Him who raised Jesus from the dead. We cannot have justifying faith without believing that fact. Now just think about it for a moment. That means then you, that you cannot simply believe that Jesus, who died and was buried, you cannot simply believe that He was raised only spiritually. From the dead, not physically. In fact, the literal bodily resurrection must be an actual reality, or we have no hope as Christians for physical or spiritual life. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17, Paul said this If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. 
you are still in your sins. You see, the whole basis, the whole, the whole anchor for us in our justification before God in, in being declared righteous is the resurrection. So if Christ has not been raised, then talking about Christ is worthless. And this entire day of celebration is worthless. We are still in our sins. So the actuality of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is both basic and central to real saving faith. Therefore, in the resurrection, God is preaching it as a fact. It's a fact. Second, secondly, God is preaching in the resurrection the fact that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. You see that also in verse 24. We believe in him who raised, notice, Jesus our Lord from the dead. So what do actual Christians believe that God has said in the resurrection? Well, they believe that it's an actual reality in history of the bodily, physical, spiritual resurrection of Jesus Christ. But we also believe that Jesus is Lord. I highlight this this morning because we don't often speak much about that reality on this day. Certainly it's implied in a whole host of things that we do, but... We don't often talk about it, but even more so I highlight it because so many other things could have been said by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul here in the resurrection and what we are to believe about Jesus, and yet God chooses to say this. God could have said for us to believe that he raised Jesus our Savior from the dead. Remember, this is the Holy Spirit illumining the heart and minds of the writer. This is the Apostle Paul being carried along, as Second Peter says, by the Holy Spirit to give us the Scripture. This is what God's saying. God could have said to us that we believe in Him who raised Jesus our Savior from the dead, but He didn't say that. He could have said to believe in Him who raised Jesus our sacrifice for sin from the dead, but He didn't say that. He says, no, believe in him who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. In other words, God is preaching through the resurrection the fact of the lordship of Jesus Christ. We could say it another way. Maybe we ought to say it the other way. If we are going to claim that God has saved us from our sins and it be an actuality, then we better be clear on the fact of who Jesus is. We better be clear on that. He is Lord. And His Lordship has been declared by God the Father through the resurrection. Listen to how Paul puts it in Romans chapter 1. Some of you probably said, I know he couldn't get past this message without going back to Romans chapter 1. It's now Paul puts this in the first chapter because I don't want us to miss it. Chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. Well, I'll just begin with verse 1 since it's so short to read it. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son. So we know this is news concerning Jesus Christ. 
who was born a descendant of David according to the flesh, so we know his fleshly line, and yet who was declared the Son of God with power, how? By the resurrection from the dead. You see? So right here is the ultimate point. The fact of the resurrection. God is proclaiming in unequivocal terms, Jesus is God. The Father is declaring to the entire creation, Jesus is God. He has said it before at his baptism, this is my son, listen to him. But right here, in unequivocal terms, with the empty tomb and the angels standing there, saying what the angels said to the women, Jesus is God. He is the Son of God. He is Lord. That means that if we say we believe in Jesus, and He is to us anything other than Lord and Savior, then we believe in a different Jesus that cannot save. If he is a Jesus that is only Savior and not Lord, then he's not the Jesus that saves. If he is anything other than what God has declared about him through the resurrection, that he is in fact Lord, then we believe in a damning Jesus. Do you see the importance of that fact? If he is not Lord, then you are believing in a Jesus that does not save. In fact, you are believing in a Jesus that cannot save because he is a Jesus that has not been raised from the dead because it's through the resurrection the real Jesus is declared to be the Lord. So if he is only a Savior and not Lord, or if you're waiting for the day when you can make him Lord of your life, then you do not know the Jesus of the resurrection. So justifying faith believes in God. And it believes in particular what God has declared through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And one of those things is that He is Lord. He is Lord. So who is the Christian? Who is the Christian, at least up to this point, the Christian is that person who believes in the fact of the resurrection of Jesus. And the Jesus that was raised is God. Now there's another fact that God preaches through the resurrected. And it's this. God preaches the fact that Jesus was, this is so crazy, was delivered up because of our sins. Verse 25 says that he who was delivered up because of our transgressions. The he is referring to Jesus. Now, this is the most amazing fact of it all. It's amazing because it says those very words. He was delivered up. It does not say that Jesus simply died. God could have said that. He who died for our transgressions. It could have said that doesn't say that, though. It's true. That's a true fact. Jesus did die. And he died because of our sins. But that is not how 
you and I, or true believers, are to think about it. We're not simply to think about the reality that Jesus died for our sins. The resurrection tells us that it's much deeper. It's a greater fact than simply dying. It says he was delivered up for our transgressions. Now, that has greater connotations than simply Jesus died for our sins. He was delivered. That's the same word that Paul uses in chapter 8, where we hear him, in our study, we're going to hear him say these very words. He did not spare his own son, but delivered him for all of us. And here is the shattering fact of that reality. Who was it that delivered up Jesus for our sins? It was God the Father who delivered him up. Maybe this will help us understand the incredible magnitude of that deliverance, of God delivering his own son. Here's how it's translated by the prophet Isaiah in a staggering way. Isaiah 53, verse 10. But the Lord, speaking of God the Father, was pleased to crush him. Putting him to grief, Isaiah says, if he would render himself as a guilt offering. But listen, it wasn't that God simply said, oh yeah, hey, uh, listen, why don't you go down and, you know, die? It's not really that big of a deal. No, that's not what took place. God the Father who has an infinitely perfect love relationship with God the Son and an infinitely perfect relationship with God the Holy Spirit and both have an infinitely perfect relationship with God the Father and with each other. It was God the Father, out of that perfect and infinitely perfect relationship of love, who delivers Him over. He personally delivers him up so that he might be crushed. It was God the Father who put him to grief, as Isaiah said. And even more staggering than that, as if it could be more staggering than that, he did it, get this, he did it on account of sin. Now, let me put it this way. God the Father handed over His own Son so that the crimes that you committed against Him, so that the crimes that I committed against Him, so that the eternal consequence for those crimes committed against Him might be taken care of. God delivered him up for the crimes that we committed against him. It is this that God is preaching in the resurrection. Those who believe with the same saving faith of Abraham, believe that Jesus, that while he died, he died for 
our sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He made Him, that is, God the Father made Him, not in creation, but in, in declaration, in delivering Him up. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. It pleased the Lord to crush Him. So that the door to the throne room of God could be accessed by us who have the same faith as Abraham. So make no mistake about it when you think about the resurrection. It was God who sent Jesus Christ to the cross. It was God the Father who sent His Son to the cross. Acts chapter 2 clearly says that in Peter's sermon. Yes, it was at the hands of wicked men that He died, and yet it was of the foreordained, predetermined plan of the Father. It was God who delivered Him up. It was God the Father who laid our sins upon Him. And by doing so, made Him to be sin for us. This is what true Christians believe. This is what we believe without wavering. And this is a fact preached in the resurrection. The Son of God died on the cross, true, because it was the only way for God to deal with our sin. It was the only way in order for God to save any of us. How do we know if we believe by faith that that faith and that declared innocence is real? How do we know? We know with the final fact that God preaches. Notice what he says. Finally, God preaches this fact in the resurrection. Jesus was raised because of our justification. You see what he says? He was delivered up, verse 25, because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. Do you realize what that's saying? If you, in belief in Jesus Christ, in believing in God, that he raised his son from the dead, that he is Lord, if you believe that and you're not justified, then God is an absolute liar. But the fact of the resurrection declares that Jesus Christ was raised because in that transaction on the cross and in that belief in what God said concerning His Son and with that confessing with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believing our heart that God raised Him from the dead, that reality is fact. Jesus was raised to prove it. He was raised because of our justification. That means... That you cannot separate death and the resurrection of Jesus and still be assured of innocence before God. If Jesus died, then he had to be raised. If he did not rise, then we have no justification. Because the death of Jesus paid the price of our sin, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is God's stamp of complete approval in Jesus being the full payment for that sin. 
In other words, God is preaching through the resurrection the absolute fact, the absolute glorifying, energizing, obedience-motivating fact that you and I, by faith in Jesus Christ, have been fully and completely justified. God is saying by raising Jesus Christ that He is fully and completely satisfied with the work of His Son and what has been accomplished through His deliverance of His Son for your sins. I said it this morning in the early service. Jesus said on the cross, It is finished. And Randy mentioned it out of Luke 24. His disciples, at least two of them on the road to Emmaus, were thinking, yeah, it's finished. And some of his other disciples were thinking the same thing. It's finished. In other words, the deliverance of a Messiah from the the government and from the oppression on this earth, that's all finished. Jesus died. Everything's over. We have no hope. That's not what Jesus meant when he said it. He was dead. And he was buried on that day. But he rose from the grave. He rose from the grave. And God the Father raised him from the dead. And in that raising, God was making a massive proclamation. My son has borne the full punishment of your sins. And I am fully satisfied in him. My law has been completely vindicated by his death. My declaring of you as innocent is a sure thing if you would simply believe. And I'm declaring all of that through raising him from the He has been raised because of our justification. To not believe in this kind of way, to believe in God this way, to believe in Jesus this way, is like believing that cars don't exist and going and standing in the middle of Highway 102 with a car coming at you still believing that it doesn't exist. In a matter of moments, you are going to realize the impact of that foolishness. There is coming a day when you will realize the impact of not believing in Jesus Christ by not believing in Him who raised Him from the dead. By not believing the fact of what He's saying in the resurrection. You can say, well, that's just not true. That's, a, that's just all a myth. It's all mist. It's all just mysticism. It's all just a crutch. You can say that. And you can go throughout your life and continue to say that and continue to believe that. But there's coming a day when the impact of that reality is going to strike you right between the eyes. Because one day you will stand before the holy judge. And if you're not enveloped in the righteousness of Christ, he will say, I never knew you. Away from me, you worker of iniquity. You see, the work was done on the cross. But the proclamation of it was at the resurrection. It is truly finished. I love when God preaches, don't you? Couldn't hear a better message, really, on resurrection morning. 
The resurrection declares that Jesus is God. The resurrection declares that he was delivered up for our sin. Declares that he is alive because through his death, God is satisfied. The law is fulfilled. And on that basis, God can declare all who would ever believe, just like Abraham believed, he can declare them eternally innocent before him. All you have to do is believe. That's God's way of saving us. That's what true Christians believe. We believe that Jesus is actually alive. See, maybe you say, well, how can I be a Christian? I quoted it a few times this morning. I'm just going to end with this one of these two verses. Paul will say it in Romans chapter 10. I'll read it to you. If you would confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Why? Because with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Let's pray together. Father, once again, we thank you for our time this morning. We thank you for this celebration of this great day. All that you have said in and through the resurrection, how it is so linked with the death of your Son. We thank you for delivering him up on behalf of sinners like all of us. We thank you that through the death of your Son, there can be life eternal if we would believe We know there's a supernatural reality in all of that, that you draw men to yourself, you grant them faith, and yet each one is held accountable for their refusal and rejection of you because we are all in Adam. So, Lord, this morning I would pray that these truths would be heavy upon the hearts of each one of us as we think about our own salvation, our own lives, that we would rest assured in our justification if we believed and that we would see the outworking of that in our obedience to what you have said. And for those who are on the fence or maybe they don't believe at all, that you would crush them. You would cause them to see their sin for what it is before you, that they would confess it, agree with you about your assessment of them and what you have said concerning your son, that they too might know the newness of life in Christ alone. Lord, we're grateful that we can celebrate these things, use them in our life, that we might share the gospel with others, see others come to know our Savior, Jesus Christ. We love you. We're grateful that you first loved us. Thank you for loving us in that way, in your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen.